This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Elevate every morning with Tommy John's Second Skin Underwear. The luxurious support of Second Skin guarantees everything will go smoothly. With over 20 million pairs sold and thousands of five-star reviews, guys love Tommy John. Plus, your most valuable assets are covered with Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear or its free guarantee. Shop Tommy John's friends and family sale right now and get 25% off site-wide at TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. See site for details. People in the city of Seoul, South Korea, are known for working late. But eventually, the lights have to go out for the night. At 4 a.m. in the huge building that housed the offices of Open World Entertainment, it was finally about that time. But even after everyone else had left, one light on the top floor stayed on. Inside, a lone teenage girl dressed in sweats was dancing relentlessly to a bouncy, syrupy beat. She was a K-pop idol trainee, and she was desperate to be a star. She practiced her steps, her strut, and her perfectly timed winks to the imaginary audience with a single-minded determination. She was so focused that she didn't hear the door to the dance studio open. It wasn't until someone sidled up next to her and touched her shoulder that she was shocked out of her daze. The girl looked up. It was the CEO of the company. She hurriedly wiped the sweat from her forehead and bowed. The middle-aged man smiled and complimented her on her dedication. They needed trainees like her. They needed people who were willing to do whatever it took to succeed. The girl kept her painted-on smile, even as he got uncomfortably close. By now, she had years of practice smiling through pain and fear. But when the CEO started massaging her, even her training failed her. She was scared. This young girl was not the first to have been massaged by the gruff old man. Eventually, almost a dozen women, many of them minors, would come forward with a similar story. They had been abused. They had been threatened. They had been pressured to accept it all as the price of fame. Welcome to The Dark Side Of, a ParCast original. A show where we will delve into the seedy underbelly of pop culture icons and historical events. We aim to expose the ugly truth behind cultural moments and public figures we hold most dear, proving that there is always more to the story than meets the eye. I'm your host, Richard. And I'm Kate. 
This is our sixth episode exploring the dark side of the music industry. The business has, especially in the last century, been synonymous with some of the most sordid aspects of our society. From rampant drug use to the exploitative creation of pop stars to brutal violence and murder, the industry can be a volatile and dangerous environment. You can find episodes of The Dark Side Of and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream The Dark Side Of for free on Spotify, just open the app, tap Browse, and type The Dark Side Of in the search bar. At ParCast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. And if you enjoy today's episode, the best way to help is to leave a five-star review wherever you're listening. It really does help. This week, we're talking about K-pop, a term for modern Korean popular music. Over the decades, Korean music has incorporated a wide variety of styles and instrumentation. Since the 1990s, K-pop has been used to describe a particular genre that fuses aspects of many Western musical genres with Korean sensibilities and is often backed by dancey synthesizers, catchy lyrics, and intricately choreographed performances. K-pop achieved international popularity beginning in the early 2000s, thanks to dynamic musical experimentation and charismatic superstars. The Korean wave, as it is sometimes called, continues today, and many K-pop groups enjoy unprecedented fame in countries across the world. But the popularity of K-pop has spawned management companies desperate to discover a scientific formula for success. These companies work constantly to glorify their biggest stars and deliberately cultivate talent based on what has worked in the past. All the management oversight has created a glamorous illusion. K-pop stars, or idols, seem to have it all. They're beautiful, talented, rich, and are sometimes elevated to the status of national heroes for their work spreading Korean culture worldwide. But the facades of easy lives and public acclaim are just as manufactured as the music. Behind the scenes, idols have suffered physical and mental abuse at the hands of their managers. The pressure to succeed and the overbearing control these companies take over the lives of their idols has led to mental breakdowns, lawsuits, and criminal proceedings. Today, we're going to explore the lives of several K-pop stars, they have been impacted by the industry in different ways, but all have faced the dark side of an industry driven by profit above all else. The journey of the K-pop star Sarah Ryu, later known simply as Sarah, illustrates some of the obstacles and extreme stress prospective idols face. Sarah was born in Busan, South Korea on October 3, 1987. Ever since she was a child, she dreamed of becoming a singer and nothing else. In 2001, at the age of 14, her parents enrolled her in a high school in Canada with a large music program. She excelled in the program and won a regional singing contest at the age of 18. 
After high school, she returned to South Korea and embarked on a search for opportunities to become a K-pop idol. To do so, Sarah knew the first step would be to audition for a management agency. These companies control the entire industry and can open doors that launch performers to stardom. But before she could get an audition, she met with someone who had experience working at an agency. She spoke to them nervously, trying not to appear too eager, but secretly hoping the talk would lead to a shot at her dream. Unfortunately, she was given a rude awakening. Her contact told her that while her voice was passable, she was much too fat to be a pop star in Korea. Though Sarah had been considered average or even slim in Canada, she was told that she needed to go on an extreme diet if she wanted to succeed in K-pop. Sarah was crushed, but she was determined to succeed. Over the course of the next several months, she lost over 40 pounds, eating primarily chocolate and little else. It was agony. Ignoring the hunger pangs took a single-minded, obsessive commitment to her weight that blocked out everything else. Soon, her body was nearly the only thing she thought about. For months on end, she stuck to the diet. The only thing that kept her going was the belief that one day she would accomplish her dream. She would be on stage, singing and dancing in front of thousands. She would do anything to make that happen. Finally, the day she had been working for arrived. Not long before her 20th birthday, she auditioned for Star Empire Entertainment Executives and was chosen to be a trainee. She signed a contract that guaranteed Star Empire a significant portion of her future earnings and a wide level of control over her day-to-day -day life. The first step in the process toward becoming an idol was to be placed in a group, which was usually assigned by the agency's managers. The most successful musicians might have a chance to become a solo act, but only after proving themselves in a group. Naturally, the trainees have little say in the matter and are expected to defer to their agency's judgment. The process of forming a group starts by creating a concept or gimmick. These are intended to make the new idols stand out among a sea of similar music acts. Concepts are chosen by executives who pitch ideas and build each group from the ground up. Managers comb through binders full of headshots and choose members of a group mostly based on appearance. For Sarah, the executives chose to include her and eight other female trainees in a group based on Greek mythology called Nine Muses. The trainees were grouped together solely because they were similar ages, heights, and had the look the managers wanted. Usually, singing and dancing abilities are afterthoughts. Stars are relentlessly trained for years until even the most rhythmically challenged can hit their spots. As K-pop composer Chung Song-oh said, not all nine members can be good singers. That kind of group doesn't exist in reality. To the managers, the trainees are machines to be programmed. They use any tools at their disposal to get the job done. Guilt, isolation, public humiliation, private shame, and even physical abuse are all on the table. During dance practice for Nine Muses, 
the young performers were slapped by the CEO of Star Empire for missing steps during the filming of a documentary about their debut. There is no way of knowing what goes on when the cameras are off, but there are rumors that the abuse was much worse than what was documented. The training endured by nine muses was made all the more difficult by the fact that their contracts guaranteed the company compensation even if the trainees washed out. The performers were told to get over the physical and mental abuse, both in the name of chasing their dreams and to save themselves from debt. Industry executives know that young people can be incredibly driven to be stars. They consciously cultivate the idea that just being chosen for training is a blessing in itself. Questioning that blessing is seen as ungrateful. Stars are called greedy if they complain about their mistreatment, no matter how well-founded the complaints are. It's a similar kind of pressure to what we discussed in previous episodes of The Dark Side Of. Stars like Elvis and Johnny Cash felt they owed it to their fans to give all of themselves to their career. This mindset led them to sacrifice major areas of their personal lives and even their physical health to perform. Meanwhile, their managers made them feel weak when they cracked from exhaustion. K-pop managers who guilt-trip trainees into hours of dance practice even while they're sick use the same type of rhetoric as those Western managers. When each long day of dance practice ended, the performers of Nine Muses returned to their cramped dormitory-style housing. Usually, managers put all members of a trainee group in the same shared lodging, even when the group is as large as nine. The exact accommodations vary, but several former idols reported that they slept on bunk beds and shared a room with two or more other trainees. The environment can have disastrous results. After years of training, some of the nine muses broke down from stress. One became so fed up with the process that she walked out of rehearsals. A psychiatrist was called in to evaluate the group, and he found that all nine members were dealing with varying degrees of clinical depression. Coming up, we'll learn how managers responded to the revelation that their trainees were dealing with depression. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Elevate every morning with Tommy John's Second Skin Underwear. The luxurious support of Second Skin guarantees everything will go smoothly. With over 20 million pairs sold and thousands of five-star reviews, guys love Tommy John. Plus, your most valuable assets are covered with Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear or its free guarantee. Shop Tommy John's friends and family sale right now and get 25% off site-wide at TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. See site for details. Now, back to the story. In 2010, managers at Star Empire Entertainment learned that all the members of their K-pop group in training, Nine Muses, were suffering from depression. 
Undoubtedly, their issues were caused or worsened by the intense and sometimes abusive training atmosphere the young women were forced to endure day after day. But management paid little attention to the psychiatrists' words. They considered the problem one of morale. They made no attempt to lower the stress of the trainees or relax the pace of training. Instead, they focused on the members who seemed to maintain high motivation to train despite their depression. Managers urged these members to ignore the others and focus on themselves. Sarah, instead, chose to cover for her less engaged cohorts, while some of the other high achievers focused solely on letting their own stars burn bright. As a result, she was removed from her position as leader. She later said she wished she'd have been more selfish. It's a sentiment that the rest of the girls learned soon after. When one member of the group asked to leave the program, the others were expected to pick up her slack while a replacement was chosen from one of many binders full of potential trainees. It's an unforgiving selection process. To increase the odds of being chosen, women and men are put under extreme pressure to alter their looks or attitude according to what executives need. Extreme dieting is the norm. Singers boast about eating as little as one sweet potato and one apple a day. Others, both male and female, limit their food consumption to a single glass of soy milk for days on end, or claim to fast for a week before a big performance. Nine muses later invented their own kind of fad diet known as the paper cup diet. The girls claimed they only ate portions of food that could be confined to small paper cups. Obviously, this kind of extreme dieting is unhealthy, especially considering the fact that K-pop stars routinely work out and practice dancing for hours each day. Restricting calories so severely routinely causes idols to collapse from exhaustion and malnourishment. The sad fact is that these practices aren't just accepted. They're heavily encouraged by managers and companies. To them, image is everything. The most common image that management companies go for is one of cutesy innocence. Dances and songs are often manufactured to exude an attitude of childlike excitement. Nine Muses, for example, were often dressed in skimpy, brightly colored outfits and encouraged to put on airs of naive charm. When Sarah and the other singers didn't put on appropriately saccharine expressions while singing, they faced insults. One manager told a member of the Nine Muses that her face looked stupid. He repeatedly sang in her face in an aggressive attempt to demonstrate the doe-eyed face she should adopt. Demanding training sessions like this went on for Nine Muses until 2010. The entire time, the women were working toward their debut, which refers to the first time a K-pop group or solo artist performs for the media. To have a debut at all is considered an achievement. Not many trainees make it that far. Of those that do, fewer still succeed. Thanks to the assembly line production of idol groups, there is always a new one ready to take the place of groups that have gotten stale. According to the documentary, Nine Muses of Star Empire, only one in 10,000 trainees becomes a pop star. 
Accordingly, as their debut drew near, the pressure was greater than ever for the members of Nine Muses. Some stayed up all night practicing dance moves and melodies. When the day of their debut arrived, all nine members gave the performance everything they had. But it wasn't enough for the management company. Though they had managed to step through intricate choreography, sing, and smile the whole time, the managers determined that nine muses sang poorly and lacked confidence. Not exactly surprising, considering the singing abilities of the girls was considered one of the lowest priorities during training. In fact, maybe the only thing that was considered less important was their confidence and overall mental health. It's obvious that screaming and striking young women as they practice dancing doesn't promote confidence. But the managers had no words of advice for themselves. The failure was laid entirely at the feet of the trainees. The nine muses were put in a dark room and told to watch the tape of their performance at least 10 times to analyze what had gone wrong. After years of physical and mental abuse, the members were now ordered to pick apart all of their flaws for themselves. As Sarah put it, what has changed is that before our debut, there was humanity amongst us. We don't have that anymore. After a disappointing debut, Nine Muses entered the Korean charts at number 147. They continued to perform with limited success until 2019, when the group disbanded. Many obstacles Sarah and Nine Muses faced are common in the K-pop industry. Management training programs target young trainees, often when the artists are only preteens. These trainees and their guardians are convinced to sign long-term contracts, granting the management company extensive control over their public and private lives. The contracts also award the agencies high percentages of the trainees' future earnings in exchange for food, lodging, and training. As the starry-eyed young people are told, each of them represents a significant investment by the management company. Sometimes even calling it a significant investment is an understatement. According to the CEO of one company, SM Entertainment, a full three to 10 years of training costs around $3 million per trainee. Some companies have cited different figures. The CEO of Star Entertainment, Chu Ha Chin, stated that training nine muses only cost around $1 million total. The money goes to a wide variety of expenses. Trainees are given intense vocal and dance lessons, often for upwards of eight hours per day. In addition, they're expected to undergo training in foreign languages to communicate with their international fans. Many K-pop groups seek out singers who know Japanese, Chinese, or English, and put out albums specific to certain regions, growing separate fan bases across the globe. What makes it worse is that it's practically impossible to become a pop star without being accepted into one of the major training programs. Over the years, breaking into the industry has become more sophisticated and expensive. And all the dancing, extreme dieting, and vocal practice aren't just to appease pushy managers. They're also necessary to live up to the expectations of K-pop fans, who are often just as stringent in their evaluations of idols. 
It's a side effect of the pains that are taken to portray the stars as products. Idols are trained to portray an inhuman physical and emotional ideal. They are discouraged from showing any negative emotions. For years, they are mentally and physically shaped into marketable objects, primed for the admiration of obsessive fans. Because of this, as far back as the mid-90s, there have been online forums and fan clubs dedicated to scrutinizing every move of their favorite stars. These so-called Saseng fans are willing to go to any lengths to be noticed by their favorite stars. Saseng fans have set up cameras in parking lots to get pictures of idols, attached GPS devices to their cars, and even followed stars home. One K-pop manager said that the most popular stars have between 500 and 1,000 Saseng fans at any one time. Every day, they're hounded by dozens and sometimes hundreds of admirers. Some teenage Sasang drop out of school to follow their favorite stars around full-time. There are specialized taxi services that cater to Sasang fans who can't drive yet. These drivers idle outside of management companies looking for young groupies and often charge a flat fee of several hundred dollars per day to drive them around, following every move of the performers. They have a reputation for breaking speed limits and other traffic laws to appease their customers. Unfortunately, being followed is the least of a popular idol's worries. Obsessed fans have sent singers vials of their menstrual blood or tapped their phones. In one case, a K-pop fan who idolized one group gave a member of their rival group a drink laced with glue. The singer who drank it had to go to the hospital and get his stomach pumped. Obsessive fans are a feature of celebrity culture all over the world. But in the case of K-pop, these obsessions often go completely unchecked. Fans almost never receive harsh treatment for crossing the line, and idols are discouraged from pressing charges against out-of-control fans. In fact, as part of their training, stars are drilled on how to make pleasant, respectful conversation with pushy fans. As an example, there are videos that suggest Jessica Chung, a member of the K-pop group Girls' Generation, was groped at an annual Korea-China Song Festival concert. Despite what happened, Chung kept a smiling face and continued performing. After the incident, fan sites discouraged discussion of the assault and the management company took down videos online. The sites claimed the ban on discussion was meant to keep from embarrassing Chung, but in effect, it brushed predatory behavior under the rug. In fact, idols are constantly pushed into situations where they're forced to endure unwanted advances and creepy behavior. For instance, at meet and greets, long lines of fans wait to take pictures or get autographs from idols. Because they're paying for the opportunity, fans sometimes feel they are entitled to physically touch the stars or sneak a kiss on the cheek. Stars are forced to do these meet-and-greets by their managers, and they don't always have the freedom to say no to orders. Most of this touchy behavior comes from teenagers, often overexcitable teenage girls. But bad behavior is by no means confined to the younger devotees. 
one particular demographic that is more actively pursued in K-pop than in other music industries, are the Samchun, or uncle fans. The term refers to older men, usually 30 to 50, who become super fans of female idols. The phenomenon is seen as particularly unsettling because K-pop stars generally debut in their early 20s and sometimes in their late teens. When hordes of middle-aged men gather around a star cheering and screaming, it looks like a group of fathers or grandfathers cheering on their daughter. But when the young girl winks and blows a kiss to the screaming men, the image becomes considerably more uncomfortable. It can seem as if both the superfans and the industry itself are united to keep performers feeling as distressed as possible. But we've only just scratched the surface of how extreme the exploitation can get. For instance, take Jun Yong Moon, the leader of the group Zaya. Like Nine Muses, Zaya is managed by Star Empire Entertainment. On September 21, 2014, Jun Yang shocked Korean media when he made a series of surprise confessions and cries for help on his Twitter feed. He wrote, I'm going to live like a human being, like a man. I am determined to speak from my heart about the world as I see it and the life I live in tears. He went on to say that the stress of living an idol's life had caused him to become so depressed that he had begun to lose his hair. He had even attempted suicide because of the treatment he received from Star Empire. Jun Yong claimed that his binding contract with Star Empire meant that the agency received 70% of the group's overall earnings. The remaining 30% was split evenly among the group, all nine members. For context, that meant that if Zaya earned $1 million in a year, the agency received 700000 while each group member received only around 33000 This type of contract, called a slave contract by some media outlets, is common for K-pop trainees. In the case of Zaya, the contract had a duration of nine years, including the two years of a compulsory military service, which all Korean men must participate in. Considering the fact that there are few groups who achieve that kind of staying power, Zaya's sales peak would almost certainly be long past by the time the contract expired. To make sure there was no room for doubt, Jun Yong posted a picture of a document showing his yearly earnings on Twitter. As speculated, the check came out to around 28,000 US dollars for the year 2013 reportedly around 3% of the profits his music generated for his managers. But Jun Young's complaints about his inequitable contract would turn out to be one of the mildest issues he revealed in his tweets. We'll delve deeper into Jun Young's confessions after this. Hi, it's Stephen Colbert, and I'm here to tell you about The Late Show Pod Show, which is the podcast of The Late Show with me, Stephen Colbert, and I'm here with my uh, producer of the podcast, Becca. Hi, Becca. Hi, Stephen. So what do people get when they listen to The Late Show Pod Show? Let's, let's sell this thing. The extended moments, for sure, because we run out of time for broadcast, but we have plenty of time on the podcast. It's kind of like being a live audience member of the show because you get things that no one else hears. Listen to The Late Show Pod Show with Stephen Colbert wherever you get your podcasts.
Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Now back to the story. In 2014, K-pop idol Jun Yong Moon posted a series of tweets revealing the exploitation he and his group Zaya had faced from their management company. These tweets alleged that the group was locked into an extremely unfair contract in which the members barely profited off their work. But the contract was just the tip of the iceberg. According to Jun Young, the members of the group were so cramped in their dormitory-like housing that he had broken a bone in his face trying to go to the bathroom at night. The accusations became more violent from there. Jun Young wrote that the CEO of Star Empire, Chu Ha-Chin, slapped him on multiple occasions when he complained. Given that Chin was shown on tape slapping members of Nine Muses, the accusation was not hard to believe. The tweets also implied that Chin had been engaged in more indirect violence. On September 12, 2014, about a week before Jun Yang's tweet storm, another member of Zaya participated in his first-ever mixed martial arts match. In a highly publicized fight, he faced the accomplished professional Japanese fighter Daisaku Tanaka. To no one's surprise, Taehun did not fare well. His opponent seemed not to bother taking the fight seriously at all, frequently dropping his guard and mocking the idol as they danced around the ring. After a few minutes, Tanaka finally became more aggressive and easily broke Taehun's nose. The fight was paused while the doctor examined Taehun ringside. Jun Yong claims that he tried to get the manager to stop the fight right then and there. It was obvious the bout was a mismatch, but it continued anyway. Taehun went back into the ring, broken nose and all, and suffered more shots to the face. After a few ineffectual strikes of his own, he was put into a submission hold and tapped out. Just like that, the idol's MMA career was over. Jun Yong alleged that the CEO of Star Empire knew Taehun would lose, but he let the fight continue for publicity's sake, even at the risk of serious injury to his client. He implied that Taehun had been pressured into doing the fight in order to make money, considering his unfair earnings. Sending a young man in the ring knowing he would suffer a beating all to make a quick buck doesn't sound like the actions of a manager with concern for anything but their bottom line. Jun Yong felt strongly that as the leader of the group, he was responsible for protecting the other members. Seeing his fellow performer publicly exploited and pushed into blood sport seems to be the decisive factor in making his Twitter confessions. But perhaps what is most disturbing about Jun Young's expose were the results. After he aired his complaints, Star Empire Entertainment responded by refuting all of the allegations. 
the company offered a few vague statements claiming Junyong's confessions were misleading and pledged to solve the issue internally. This is standard protocol when an idol makes public accusations against their managers. Companies hesitate to demonize their client because they represent a valuable source of income. Instead, they keep things as vague as possible, rarely providing proof to the contrary, and instead implying that the star has misunderstood the costs of doing business. Then they try to sweep the problems under the rug. In Jun Yong's case, the process was especially ominous. One of the first tweets he made on September 21st was, If my Twitter account gets deleted, or if I become mute, it would mean that I've been pressured by forces that are strong enough to do that. Just a day after posting the tweets, they were all deleted. Jun Young then made another series of posts where he claimed that he had reconciled with the CEO of Star Empire. In these posts, he stated that the CEO had apologized to him, and they had made changes to the contract so that it was more equitable. He also said he would not be making any more public statements on the matter. Jun Yong's confessions may have produced a better contract for him and his group, but it did little to change the industry as a whole. The company made no agreement to abstain from similar contracts with other groups in the future. In fact, it may have emboldened managing companies to continue their abusive practices. Many in the media felt that Jun Young's complaints were childish and shouldn't have been aired in public. Some suggested that if his treatment was really so bad, he should have taken legal action instead. These criticisms ignore the power a restrictive contract can have over an employee. Many of the so-called slave contracts require that idols pay management companies back for their training and living costs after they debut, which can make it financially impossible to sever the deal. Some of the largest management companies, like SM Entertainment and JYP Entertainment, usually don't include such strictures. But contracts at smaller companies, including Star Empire, often do. This means that from the time the contract is signed, trainee idols are in debt. And if the public statements of managers are to be believed, then each trainee may owe millions of dollars. These young men and women are thrown into a hole that is nearly impossible to crawl out of, even if they become international stars. It hardly matters how popular a specific group becomes, few manage to earn enough to support themselves. Take the supergroup BAP. They achieved extreme popularity and generated millions of dollars in profit from their live shows and singles. But in 2015, they were forced to sue their managers because of the insane contract they were trapped in. According to BAP, their management company, TS Entertainment, made almost $10 million in profits over the course of three years from BAP's music. But the six members of the group received a little less than $17,000 each over three years. Divided by 36 months, that works out to a salary of less than $500 per month. In the lawsuit, 
BAP also alleged mistreatment at the hands of TS Entertainment, similar to the kinds of abuse suffered by Nine Muses. According to the group, their lead vocalist was overworked to the point of exhaustion and collapse. After one member broke his hand, the company threatened legal action unless he performed despite doctors' orders to remain on bed rest. In addition, the CEO of TS Entertainment was accused of cursing at the families of the band members when they tried to meet with their sons. For three years, the members claim, they had no freedom to make a phone call without explicit permission from the managers. TS Entertainment refuted the group's accusations. After a protracted legal battle, the two parties reached a settlement, and BAP continued to be managed by TS until the end of their contract. When the contract ended, the group disbanded. Believe it or not, BAP's complaints came after some major strides were taken toward making contracts more equitable. Back in 2008, the K-pop group TVXQ sued their management agency on the grounds that their contract was too restrictive. In their case, the contract's duration was a full 13 years. The court found that the contract was invalid as it gave the management company too much power over the stars. A year later, in 2009, the Korean Fair Trade Commission took action to limit slave contracts. It put a rule in place preventing management contracts from exceeding seven years, not counting military service time. The managers quickly adapted, locking down seven-year contracts for as many groups as it could. However, the new contracts made it even more difficult for idols to negotiate new contracts going forward. In practice, it meant that groups had little choice but to renew their contracts with the same managers when their initial contracts ended. These exploitative practices continued until 2017, when the Fair Trade Commission established another set of rules that limited the ability of managers to force performers into renewing their contracts. But even all of this doesn't cover the worst scandals in the K-pop industry. For that, we have to turn away from Star Empire and take a look at open-world entertainment. Though there are many horror stories from those who have gone through idol training, few can match the awful experiences of the young women recruited by this company. Eleven young female trainees whose names are not being shared for the sake of privacy, came forward to Korean police in 2012. They alleged that the CEO of Open World Entertainment, Sok Woo Chong, had repeatedly sexually assaulted them. Though he was the chief officer of the company, he apparently personally managed a few acts on his own as well. Among these acts were at least 11 women, some of them minors, whom he took particular interest in. Reportedly, he used drugs to sedate the women and then sexually abuse them. Then, for entertainment or possibly for blackmail purposes, he induced male trainees to assault the girls as well. To keep the girls quiet, he threatened to end their careers if they told anyone about the abuse. He reportedly claimed that he knew everyone in the entertainment industry and that the girls would never get a job if they came forward. 
It's not known how long the abuse went on exactly, but it was likely for years. Considering the CEO's threats, it's possible there are even more victims who didn't go to the police. In 2012, Chang was arrested and sentenced to six years in prison. Many acts managed by Open World cut ties with the company and signed to rival agencies. Unfortunately, this incident is not the only time the K-pop industry has been accused of sexually abusing and harassing women. Of course, there are many reputable management agencies that haven't been subject to the same accusations as Open World Entertainment. But the fact remains, there are segments of the industry that take advantage of artists who are conditioned to tolerate abuse in the name of stardom. These young men and women are seduced into the industry as teenagers. They sacrifice their young years for the sake of fame. In return, they are sometimes abused, insulted, and robbed by the managers who are meant to guide them. In recent years, the Korean Fair Trade Commission has made strides in limiting this exploitation, but there is still much to be done. These young singers, who take pride in spreading their country's culture to a wider world, deserve to be protected from the very industry that created them. Thanks for listening to The Dark Side Of. Next week, we'll continue our exploration of the dark side of music with Suge Knight. You can find all episodes of The Dark Side Of and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals, like The Dark Side Of, for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream The Dark Side Of on Spotify, just open the app, tap Browse, and type The Dark Side Of in the search bar. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. We'll see you next time. The Dark Side Of was created by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media, and is part of the ParCast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, sound designed by Dick Schroeder, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro and Paul Mahler. Additional production assistance by Maggie Admire and Freddie Beckley. This episode was written by Terrell Wells and stars Kate Leonard and Richard Rosner. <laughs>